Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Feel free to tell your friends and subscribe. Coming up on today's show, a new set of polls shows the conservatives moving ahead of the liberals. A young climate change activist has drawn the attention of the world. Is it helping or hindering the cause? And some consumer advocates are expressing concern over a pledge made in the election to cut cell phone bills by 25%. Can we do it? Why hasn't it been done already? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. A new set of polls uh, are out. The Tories ahead uh, at 36% of the Liberals, uh, 32%. To talk more about all of this, uh, a person who I'm sure is very busy today, Sean Simpson, Vice President of Ipsos. And with us now, Sean, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Many were wondering how long this would take to resonate or, or how it would resonate. Are you surprised by what you're seeing so far? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, we're, we're moving in the direction I think many people thought in, in, in that the Liberals have uh, have stumbled. Um, and it's been, I think, what I'm describing as a measured reaction, right? It's not uh, catastrophic for the Liberals. They're probably breathing a sigh of relief that it actually isn't uh, as bad as it maybe uh, could be or some were worried about. Um, but, uh, you know, the Conservatives are probably happy they're in the lead, but it's not really because they've improved. It's just because the other guy is, has, has faltered. So um, I think the Conservatives still have uh, work in front of them to uh, try to convince people that uh, they're a viable alternative to the Trudeau Liberals. Uh, what does it say, considering it is a gradual drop versus, say, a huge drop right away? Does, one, does either result mean something different? Yeah, well, I think uh, if we saw a decline of seven or eight points, you know, a lot of people would be saying that this uh, that this race is over. Um, but more importantly, I'm looking at where those I call them defectors for now are, are going. So people leaving the Liberal Party, the Tories are up by one point, the NDP are up by one point, the Green Party are up by two points, and in my mind, that's just people looking for a home and not quite sure where it is. So, um, you know, is this a change of momentum or is this you know the beginning of the end? I I think it's just a, a change of momentum that happens throughout the course of an election campaign. Um, there's still four weeks to be had. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the big debates are, are still ahead of us. Um, I think it's probably uh, more of a blip um, right now um, as that progressive vote tries to figure out collectively where they want to go and what gives them the best shot of defeating uh, Andrew Scheer. Uh, is this the type of issue that it takes a while to resonate, maybe because of series of emotions that people may feel as it plays out and as it sinks in? In other words, it's less about uh, the the racial issue of it all and people perhaps accepting his apology and more about how he didn't realize that this was not acceptable. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, because of SNC-Lavalin, you know, uh, and now this, this incident, I've got this suspicion that people who are going to leave the Liberal Party have probably already done it. Uh, mm. I could be wrong, obviously, mm. but, but, you know, otherwise I'm thinking to myself, well, what could possibly happen that would then cause someone tomorrow to leave the Liberal Party, you know, but not the last week or the last couple of months? So, um, you know, I, I think uh, the Liberals are, are probably uh, still going to be in it. I think if you did a poll immediately after the story broke, you'd probably have a, a bigger impact, you know, as, as almost a knee-jerk reaction. 
just like you see, you see in the news. And then, you know, people start to talk and, and think about it a little bit more and, and go, you know what, I, I don't think, you know, what we're seeing now is I don't think Trudeau is is racist, you know, which may have been the initial reaction. It's just that he, he, he lacks some judgment um, uh, at some points in his life. Uh, are, are people, do you think, questioning how, uh, on that second point that you made, are people questioning how he didn't know? I mean, does, is that reflective? And and again, a series of past lack of judgment issues, I guess. Yeah, so we, we've got 45% of Canadians who accept his apology, you know, essentially saying a mistake is a mistake and, and, mm-hmm. and they want to move on. But that leaves 55% of Canadians who have some kind of doubt in their in their mind. 20% believe that he should resign right, right away. What he did was inexcusable. And then you've got about 35% of Canadians who say, you know, this causes me to question his judgment. And they're evenly split between those who would still consider voting for the Liberals and those who say, I just I just can't do it. Now, most of those people are conservative voters anyway. Right. So so the impact is not broad. Um, it, it's a it's a it's a narrow impact. But, you know, even just a couple of points in election campaign makes all the difference, particularly in Ontario. Last week, the Liberals had an eight point lead this week. It's a dead tie. Has this uh, issue with the the blackface issue superseded this SNC-Lavalin issue? I'm not sure that it's it's superseded it so much as just piled on, right? If if because they're they're ultimately about. you know, lack of lack of judgment, right? Um, and uh, and so if if you're now seeing a pattern in the prime minister, then you may begin to question his his fitness to 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 govern. Um, but uh, I think you know people obviously are moving past SNC Lavalin because um, you know since it started being the focal point of every news broadcast every day, uh, approval ratings in the government rebounded. Um, I suspect that we'll see similar things as people move beyond this most recent issue. Uh, you talked about momentum, but obviously still a long way to go in an election campaign. How important is momentum at this point? Oh, momentum is key, um, and and you know you never want to peak too soon um, uh, because when you become a front runner, everybody pays attention to you. Uh, so now Andrew Shear's got some momentum; he's the front runner, and people are really going to be kicking his tires over the next couple of of, of weeks to see whether or not he is uh, a viable alternative to um, uh, to the Trudeau Liberals. You know, in Ontario, we had we had McGuinty and win, and at times it looked like they were going to lose, um, but people didn't believe that that John Tory or Tim Hudak you know, presented a viable alternative at, at this point in time. So I think that's what we're, where we are with Andrew Scheer. Uh, are you concerned about voter turnout this election? People just throwing their arms up in the air and, and saying, you know, I've had it, I'm out. Yeah, you know, I, we have uh, what I'm saying is a mitigating and aggravating factor on on the uh, on the argument of of high turnout is that it's an uncertain election and and it's close and when when it's close every vote counts and I think that motivates people to go vote. On the other hand, we've got some apathy towards uh, the leader and, and I think particularly among liberal voters who may not be quite as jazzed about the prime minister as they were in 2015. So on that hand, you know, we may have lower turnout. Uh, you know, I, I'm expecting the, the big variable is is people under the age of 30. In 2015, they came out in droves and elected Prime Minister Trudeau, much the same way they elected Barack Obama. Now they may not be quite as excited to vote, uh, and if if uh, if they don't vote uh, like they did last time, then Tories, who are generally supported by older demographics who vote come hell or high water, uh, will likely receive that ballot box bonus. 
Are you expecting uh, this this momentum that has shifted to continue to grow, or or could this very much stay exactly where it is right up until Election Day? Well, it's hard to say. Um, you know, much like the weather, what's happened in the last couple of days doesn't mean what's going to happen in the next couple of days um, yeah. uh, going going forward. Um, I, I think um, you know, until we're completely past the issue, uh, we may see the momentum continue for the next little while. Uh, maybe the debates become a game changer. But in this, uh, you know, second full week of the campaign, uh, it's definitely advantage uh, towards Andrew Shear. But Ontario's a tie. We're going to see the leaders here. I think throughout the course of the campaign, particularly in the 905 in southwestern Ontario. What Any thoughts about how uh, the premiers of Ontario have been brought into this? Uh, first uh, with Trudeau and Doug Ford, and then sheer retaliating with saying, with talking about the uh, premier win in McGuinty days. How, yeah. how, how does that resonate with Ontarians, do you think? Well, it's, you know, it's probably a wash. Uh, you know, I, I think people recognize that there's a difference between uh, federal and, and, and provincial parties. And in fact, in Ontario, we, we tend to vote the opposite party in from the one yeah. that, 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 mm-hmm. that's in power. This kind of is, is, is how, how things work around here. Um, so, you know, I think people can sling mud, uh, eh, but, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's not about who these other people are. It's about who the leaders are that we have uh, from among the Jews. Uh, and do you like Trudeau? Do you believe him? Has he been able to restore his credibility? Or do you think uh, Andrew Scheer presents a, a viable uh, a viable alternative? That's, you, that's the choice. Are you surprised the NDP or the Greens haven't benefited more from this? Well, look, uh, the Greens are doing really well at 11% support. Yeah, They're compared the highest to where they were. ever measured them. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I think this, it's, a, it's a victory for the Green Party. Um, their challenge is to not get 11% in every riding, but to focus that energy in certain ridings where they think they can actually win the ridings, such as the, the, the beast of our electoral system. The NDP, I mean, this issue is tailor-made for Jagmeet Singh, right? So if, if he can't um, grab the attention of, of Canadians and improve his popular vote over this most recent scandal and this issue... I don't know what's going to help him. So uh, I, I think, you know, just as, as we're looking at Andrew Scheer as, as an alternative, I think many people will now be looking at uh, Jagmeet Singh, particularly how he reacts and responds to the last week's events. Uh, obviously, Jagmeet Singh was not resonating for the longest time. And right up until this event, many were talking about the Greens replacing uh, the NDP as the third party option for most. How has this resonated? How does how does Jagmeet Singh or Jagmeet Singh keep the momentum going from this? How, how can he translate this into votes? Yeah, well, I think what he has to do is 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 show that he is the alternative for the progressive vote. So for uh, you know liberal voters who are angry at the prime minister, he's the alternative, not Elizabeth May. And so he may have to he may have to look around him in in multiple directions um, to convince people that you know a vote for the Green Party may be a wasted vote. You may uh, 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 in particular ridings have a better shot of defeating Andrew Scheer by voting NDP than than you do for for the Liberals. Um, the, the the big problem for the progressive vote is if the uh, if this Green Party does well and siphons enough votes away from the NDP and the Liberals, then the Tories, who have a pretty consolidated vote, um, will will win in a lot of elections. Even with low proportions of the popular vote, they'll still take the seat. Uh, climate change, very much a, a massive issue going into this campaign. It seems we've been distracted against the issue simply because of, of what has been happening. What do the Greens have to do to to cash in on this? 
Well, um, you know, we'll be talking about climate change a little bit more um, uh, towards the end of the week. But I think what the Green Party has to do is 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 not convince Canadians that that they've got necessarily the best ideas um, for protecting the environment and dealing with climate change because it, it's in their name for crying out loud, right? I, I think you know, yeah, it's <laughs> the brand. People, yeah, yeah. For people uh, who, who who think climate change is a top issue, you know, is the Green Party credible on it? Absolutely. But uh, I think most people want uh, you know a measured approach to to dealing with climate change, so not um, you know completely at the expense of our economy. And so they need to show that not only do they have the best ideas, but, but that they're they're sustainable without you know costing people jobs and and raising taxes uh, disproportionately and, and and those kinds of things. How much time do they have to spend selling the rest of their platform? As you said, it's in their name, it's the green brand. Obviously, they've got the environmental issue covered. What about everything else? Well, yeah, that's a tough one because uh, I mean I, I don't think they're they're going to form government. I don't think they have a chance of, of, of forming government. But you know they want to look like they do, right? Because that's they'll they'll attract people. So they have to have policies on taxation and the economy, and and uh, they've just come out with uh, you know an idea of decriminalizing all um, all drug possession in Canada. Yeah, yeah. So you know some people may say, well, I like them on the environment stuff, but yeah, that that's a pretty progressive policy. I'm not I'm not sure I'm willing to go there. So um, it's a double edged sword. You have to look like you've got policies on on every issue so that you can you know convince people that you, you you'd be a competent government um but at the same time you know that, that may off put some people who were maybe otherwise attracted by your flagship uh, environmental policy uh who is benefiting from this trend that we're now seeing this this slight shift in momentum it seems like it's spread across the board it is. It's it spread evenly. It's almost randomly distributed but, uh, with people leaving the Liberals going towards the Conservatives, the NDP and the Green Party. And we know that um, uh, Green Party and NDP supporters are, are saying that they're less likely to vote. They're less committed to their choice, which all leads me to believe that this is a bit of a temporary blip, right? They're not going to these parties and saying they're going to vote for them because they necessarily want to. It's because I just can't vote Liberal anymore. And so, you know, how motivating is that for you to go out and, and, and vote? You know, I, I, I would love to be corrected on that. We'll see what happens on Election Day. But, you know, um, a lot of times people say that they're going to vote for the Green Party and even the NDP party. But it's really a proxy for I don't like any of my options and I just might not get up off my couch to vote. How do you decide how to pull, when to pull, what questions to ask between now and the election as as Ipsos? Yeah, well, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I mean, during an election campaign, you know, we can be counted on on polling on a on a on a weekly basis because things can can change very quickly. Um, how we decide on what to poll on that's with with you fine folks at uh, at Global News and and Chorus Radio. Um, you know, we have a, a discussion every week to 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 talk about you know what are those issues that uh, matter most to Canadians and and how can we um, get beyond the horse race numbers and and try to identify what's driving the vote and what's keeping people up at night and 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 who do they what are they think about the the parties and how they're responding to those challenges so that's really what we're trying to do is get beyond the horse race numbers and figure out really what's making people tick sean simpson has been with us vice president of ipsos sean thanks so much for the time and insight much appreciated my pleasure a new set of polling numbers out uh, as a result of uh, the blackface situation and the pictures that have uh, surfaced. The Tories now uh, gaining momentum and ahead of the liberals uh, 36 percent uh, to the liberals 32 percent you're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, 135, 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine in the house, 21 degrees outside. Jump into the convo. Love to hear from you. Uh, website, send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com as well. 
Phone lines are open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. And Facebook and Twitter, feel free to jump on board. Love to hear you there. Uh, and you also find the podcast edition of the commentary. How did the Liberal Party not know uh, that blackface images existed? Why didn't this turn up during the last election campaign? We'll talk about that coming up uh, a little later on. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, man. If we don't start talking about what we were designated to talk about, we'll never talk about because I'll just get yakking politics with her and... Then we'll be off on a tangent somewhere. So let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, a public relations guru. Alyssa PR, she is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. As always, Scott, and I do love Joni Mitchell. Just saying. There you go. Um, so you know, I uh, I'm gonna I want to talk politics, but I want to get the the Greta thing out of the way because I know we'll start yakking politics and we'll never get Greta in. So here is here are the clips of Greta, and in in case you don't know who Greta is, she is a climate activist who has pretty much become a spokesperson for uh, climate change of late for her generation. She's about 15 years old. Here's a, a little bit of what she had to say at the UN today. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, Yesterday. right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up. And change is coming, whether you like it or not. And I should mention this was yesterday. We have some more. You are failing us. But the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. Your thoughts on Greta and her and she becoming the the uh, young spokesperson for the climate movement? Well, you know, my as soon as I woke up and I checked my Instagram feed, and it was full of um, that outtake, particularly that one of Greta's speech in front of the UN Commission. And you know, you have to admire the will of this girl who has faced, uh, you know, talked in front of Congress, has been at the UN, has been skewered by um, the far right, on the, especially with Fox News. And she really has an iron will, and she's amazingly articulate for a 16-year-old girl. And mm-hmm. I think that that's become part of a, a picking point for those who uh, do not believe in climate change and would like to try and discredit her. So it's interesting how the naysayers are, are coming out. Um, some of them are definitely more articulate than the others, but... Um, she is signaling a warning, and I really wonder how many people are of, I'll say, our age are listening. Uh, that's my next question. How do we? How do uh, people that are older than her accept being chastised by a fifteen-year-old? Well, not very many, and um, I think. That and again, not to be dis- not to be disrespectful for what she's doing and the effort that she's no. made, but you know what I'm saying. Well, you know, there has been precedence of uh, using young people to get across a point because perhaps they're a little bit, you know, Teflon, you know, nothing much will stick to them. People don't really want to pick on a a kid for, you know, being the spokesperson for a particular campaign. We saw it many years ago with the, um, you know, GMO, uh, the food, anti-GMO food lobby, and now we're seeing it here. And as, as we saw when Greta was speaking in front of Congress a few days ago, you know, she was openly mocked by, um, you know, older people, older men specifically, uh, you know, for her her beliefs, her ideology, which they consider grand and, and, and untenable. Listen, you can disagree with somebody, but don't mock them. And, and I think yeah. that, just, that just makes the opposition look bad. And I think that there are some who believe that she's only a shill for the far left. 
and uh, trying to get across a point that they never could on their own. Uh, with that, does this help the cause? Do we rally behind uh, the Gretas of the world, or does this make people more skeptical? I think, by and large, I think it helps the cause. Listen, nobody is going to go totally vegan tomorrow because of Greta. Uh, they might. There might be a few. But I, I think that the um, you know people who are c- concerned about the environment and the environmental lobby is is toning down a bit of their rhetoric in in some cases, for, at least from what I've seen by following it. They're saying, okay, listen, we know that you you may use a plastic straw, but you're trying to go eat a vegetarian meal three days a week. So there's this, you don't need to be perfect. We just need you to make small changes. And if anybody's ever worked in behavioral science, and I used to work for Heart and Stroke Foundation, it would be people, get people to stop smoking or get people to eat healthier. It's a continuum of, of you know, you have a behavior. You have to get people to contemplate doing something before they'll enact. So I think that what Greta's words might do is get people to think, well, you know what, maybe I won't take my car today. Maybe I'll try and have a vegetarian meal once a week. You know, maybe I can make, uh, I'll, I'll bring a metal straw with me so I can avoid using uh, a plastic straw. So I think that best case scenario, it gets a number of pe- people making a number of small changes. I think that what some of her naysayers say is, you know, if you're not all in, then you're all out, which I don't think is the case. Yeah, and that's what this, and, and the sad part is that's what this debate has turned into. You're either all in or you're or you're not or you're all out. It's not a case of somehow managing this or or transitioning uh, delicately from one to another. It's like it's got to be a hard exit in some way. And I think that's what people are having a hard time with. And I remember even asking Elizabeth May about this. What's what would life be like the day after for her uh, and for us? And and, and I think that's the issue is that um, people want a balanced approach to this. Uh, I don't think they necessarily want to step back in time. And I think that people are not seeing the balanced approach. I think that they're hearing a very, very hardline rhetoric. And you yeah, know, it's either it's either you're you know you're you're a fossil fuel burning pig and a climate change denier, or you're there to save the planet. There's no happy medium here. Well, that's true. And listen, I have to go somewhere today. And am I taking public transit? No, it'll take me forever. I'm going to take my car. But you know, did I make a veg? Will I make a vegetarian meal this week? Yes, I will. And it's almost like the Green New Deal. You know, there's some very, very hardline targets in order to reverse the damage that's been done. You know, by and large, people just aren't going to do that. Um, you know, and when Greta Thunberg talks about, um, you know, lining your pockets and, you know, economic fairy tales, uh, you know, she, she's right. I mean, listen, lots of people have become very, very rich because of their non-environmental stance with business. And some of these, when we hear about these extreme ideas, like from Greta, like from the Green New Deal, you're thinking, okay, well, that's just too much, too fast. I can't do that. I get that the planet is in trouble, but there's no way I'm going that far. So I, I, I think that, yes, it's important to put out there the issue, but I think in order to be effective, you have to dial it back so yeah. people can a grasp it and give people those those things that they themselves can enact yeah. in order to feel like they are helping the cause versus just throwing up their hands and going, okay, this is too much for me. Yeah, I, I think the hysteria and the fear-mongering is just making people more cynical about this. The other thing is you can't sustain hysteria. Yeah. You really can't. That's true. And Sooner or later you run out of air. <laughs> well, well, you know, and that's true. I mean, we're laughing, yeah. but it's true. 
And you also become what I call a one-note whine. So if you're that person who's constantly beating the drum at one loud decibel, people will just tune you out because, at, you know, at, at the beginning, it's interesting. A little further on, okay, yeah, I hear you. The third time, you know what, I'm done. I'm moving on to something else. So you really have to, like, best practices and communications is you really have to temper. You have ebbs and you have flows. So there are, there are high points when you're beating the drum loud, and then there's low points when you're just making a constant drip so that you continue to be active. Is, so if you're always at that one decibel, you're going to lose half your audience. So is the angry Greta going to continue to work? Um, I don't know if it'll continue to work, but that's I think that that's her M.O. I think yeah. that she will be angry, although... Although, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen her so angry. I've seen her very vigilant about her narrative. Mm-hmm. Passionate, yep. After being, yeah, about being passionate is a better word. Um, but after being badgered, I think, this whole week, yeah. she was just about done. Yeah, and good point. And she just left that out. Although I will tell you, I mean, I have a daughter. You know, she's a very bright 19-year-old young woman, but... You know, I never heard her talk like that when she was 16 years old. Yeah, you got to give the girl credit for, um, you know, grabbing her cause and and running with it as she can. Good for her. Um, Let's move on and and let's talk about a recent poll from Ipsos showing that uh, liberals uh, behind the Tories now. It was virtually neck and neck for the longest time. It appears after the blackface situation, Tories have jumped ahead 36 percent to liberals, 32. Although you can break this down in various areas and find uh, closer numbers or numbers which uh, say the opposite depending upon the region of the country your thoughts is the is the momentum shifting here you know we talked last week when the whole blackface saga broke and one of the things i think you said to me is that you talked to two experts who thought that this might even help him and at the time i think we said well we'll wait and see till the next polling numbers come out and we knew that they were polling right away and so here we have post blackface issue and trudeau was up so what does that say? I don't know about the people you're talking to, but the people that I am talking to from all different walks of life, black, white, brown, you know, and many people say, listen, it happened so long ago, it doesn't really matter. They just don't believe that this sticks to him. And I think that that's the prevailing attitude. I also think that, you know, Canadian voters are cynical. When the, when the media continues to beat the drum um, until the death of an issue, which this has been going on. It's, it's definitely a lot quieter now mm-hmm. on Tuesday than it was last week when it broke. But I think that that also makes voters skeptical. It's like, okay, this is just a great media story, and I'm done with it. So that can also make people tune out. So the way I read that is is that the conservatives got a bit of a bounce, but they weren't able to sustain it. And nobody has been able to sustain it. So now you've got to switch tax. That was the big breaking story of the um, of, of the election cycle so far. You still have two debates. Monk has pulled, I mean, uh, Trudeau has pulled out of the foreign policy Monk debates, meaning that he's only going to appear in two debates. Who does that help? Who does that help with him pulling out of that? Well, it, whoever comes out strongest, I mean, really, it could help Andrew Scheer. It could. Um I think that it's really a disservice to Canadians that somebody feels that they can still stay in power by his absence. And I understand tactically why he would pull out of the foreign policy debates. I mean, you know, what what would you bring up if you were in that foreign policy debate? Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about India, Prime Minister Trudeau, and then just riff on that. So, you know, his advisors get together and they think, okay, no good is going to come on this. You're going to be on the defense. We have the right not to not to debate. Let's not do it. Let's only play to our strengths from now on. And that's what they're going to do, whether we like it or not. 
How does this compare to uh, the SNC Lavalin? Is it bump that off of the uh, everybody's attention? I think that it only becomes bumped off if the um, opposition uh, lets it go. And I was thinking this morning, when is that book tour starting? So yeah, if, I think it's September twenty sixth. It uh, yeah, no kidding. It drops. If I'm more yeah, a couple of days. I'm doing it ten days. I'm doing it ten days, or I'm doing it as close to the election day as possible. So that's what I would be doing. But um, it's you know it's interesting because you know I read a very very interesting article. It was a interview. It was actually a lunch that Cahal Kelly from the Global Mail had with Andrew Shear, and it was probably the best and most honest portrayal of who this man is. Uh, that I have read to date. So if, you know, the Conservative Party can bottle that, and, and I think what they, that's what they've tried to do, is paint him as every man, not somebody born with a silver spoon in his mouth. But it has yet to translate. So the, the fact that perhaps the narratives from the opposing parties are not yet landing is what is, uh, A, keeping mm. uh, the Liberals, in, you know, ahead. But B, you still have that 19 to 24% who aren't declaring it. Honestly, I think that a lot of people are not really telling who they're going to vote for. I think that as well. I've, I said that a while ago. How did the Liberals not know that these picks were out there? How did they not catch this? How did they not vet for this? Honestly, I just don't think it was divulged. You know, I, I think that they were caught on their heels uh, when this news came out. Um, I guess nobody thought that it was not done with a racist mentality. It's not like... The Virginia, you know, the governor of Virginia, who was standing beside a Ku Klux Klan member at a Halloween party, um, so it wasn't done in that context. But right. I have to tell you, I don't think that he even thought that it would be an issue, and never brought it up in the vetting. Yeah, for me, it's you know, I forgive the guy. Uh, well, I accept the apology. Uh, I don't think he's a racist, but I'm just not. The part I have a, a hard time with is I don't understand how, because of his privilege and his wealth. He did not know that this was wrong, and you know, that, and, that and, and, and I pass that along to and I pass that along to other issues. Like, how did you not know this was wrong? You know, how did you not know that dressing up in eight costume changes a day was wrong? And 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 you also have to look at the team here. <laughs> Unless, from what I understand, from what I, I I'm beginning to understand, is that I don't think anybody says no to Justin. I think they just say yes. I think Bingo. they prefer happy Justin, yep. and I, th- I don't think they prefer, uh, they don't, definitely don't prefer angry Justin. Yeah. So it happens a lot in politics. That's where, you know, you hear about your yes men and yes women. You know, just say yes, because there's a, a shorter road to yes and a much longer road to no. Alyssa Freeman has been with us. Alyssa PR, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Always fun, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. Uh, you know, during the, the Denim election campaign, and maybe we're already there now. <laughs> People just, you know, there's so much stuff coming at you, and they're just throwing stuff at you like, like a sausage machine grinding this out, just the grocery list. And if I get elected, you're going to get this. And if I get elected, you're going to get that. And if I get elected, you're going to do things that we didn't do four years ago, but we're going to do now. And, and if you get rid of those guys and put us in, we're going to do this like they didn't. And it just keeps going and going and going. And, uh, you know, you kind of after a while, just it's all noise. And then all of a sudden, someone says, we're going to cut your uh, cell phone bills by 25%. Whoa, that stands out, doesn't it? Whoa, that's something that can help me. That's something that helps the average middle-class Canadian. 
But is it realistic? Uh, the Prime Minister has uh, the Liberal Party's promise of a 25% reduction in wireless bills for the average Canadian families was greeted with scepticism by observers of the Canadian telecom industry. Consumer advocates agreed that Canadians want to pay less for wireless service, but questioned whether a Liberal government would follow through on its pledge if Justin Trudeau gets an a- another mandate as Prime Minister. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Laura Tribe, Executive Director, Open Media, and is with us now. Laura, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Are you surprised that cell phone rates all of a sudden blammo through climate change and, and blackface all of a sudden appeared uh, as uh, as a campaign on the campaign agenda? <laughs> uh, I'm actually not as surprised as I think some people might be, but I spend the internet of my days campaigning for cheaper cell phone bills. So I think it's the result of a lot of years of work. Uh, so there you nice go, Laura. Laura, all of your hard work and you advocacy <laughs> groups, it's finally paid off. You finally got some attention. Well, we'll wait and see when the bills actually go down. But they're, it's good to feel like they're at least uh, on the people's radar that this is an issue that needs some attention. It is an issue. It is something that relates to everybody, doesn't it? It is. I mean, it's it's not a secret that we pay too much for our cell phone bills. And when you look at the rates that people are paying around the world, we're paying some of the most of anyone. Uh, and so this has been the case for years. It's not new. But I think that we're seeing, as people are increasingly reliant on their cell phone bills, as kids are getting cell phones younger, uh, the cost and the toll this is taking on families really adding up. And so I think in an election where everyone's trying to find something to differentiate themselves, it's not surprising that going for something that hits as many people as possible uh, is really popular as a topic. So why now? Um, is this possible? And if it is, if it was just like flicking a switch, then why aren't we there already? It is possible. Uh, it is not as simple as flicking a switch, but it's actually not that hard or that impossible. Uh, The reason that we're not there already is that it's going to take some big change that upsets some big companies. And that's really the thing that has stood in the way of this happening for so long. So one of the reasons that we pay so much for our cell phone bills in Canada is because over 90% of our market is controlled by three companies, Bell, Telus, and Rogers. Mm -hmm. And when we're looking at bringing down prices, when you compare Canada to other countries, the biggest thing that stands out is that Every one of those other countries has at least four, often way more providers than that. And that concentration of power over a market is really the biggest thing standing between us and cheaper cell phone bills. And the way to do that and the way to fix it is to bring in more competition. And that's not an easy switch to flip, but it is one that both the government and our regulator can flip and mandate access to smaller companies to be able to come into the market. Uh, this certainly is nothing new. We've heard of this before. Uh, when they release so much bandwidth, uh, the big people are have to sit on the sidelines and other people get to, to bid on that. But then what we often see happening is sooner or later, those small companies are eaten up by the big three anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, those companies have been given decades of head start in both investment and subsidies to be able to build their networks across the country. And that's really hard for small providers. So um, how do we do this if it hasn't been done in the past? If, if again, uh, uh, the cost relative to the amount of customers that we have, because many will say the excuse is we have a very big company, a very big country to, to, to spread infrastructure across with very few customers. Uh, how do you change things now? So the competition needs to look a little different than how we've tried to introduce it in the past. Uh, What has been done previously is to tell smaller companies entering the market that they have to catch up to the decades of head start that those three companies have had in building those networks across the country and trying to purchase spectrum that has already mostly been sold to those three companies. 
that hasn't worked. They are at too much of a disadvantage. What we're looking at now is a different setup or different model for those small companies, which works a bit closer to what we have on things like our home internet. So instead of duplicating the networks and duplicating all that infrastructure to actually say, it's not being fully used. How do we make sure that more people have access to it? So you would let smaller companies come in and lease unused spectrum from those bigger companies and buy it wholesale. And it means that companies can come in and start offering different types of plans and services that maybe the big three aren't that interested in providing, but they're still paying those companies to access their networks. So it reduces the duplication. It's more efficient use of our infrastructure, but it does bring in some competition in terms of the types of plans, the types of services, and the affordability that we're looking for. And that's something that doesn't take decades, can actually happen a lot faster. So basically, you're using the infrastructure that these companies have already invested in. You're letting them to rent it out to other various smaller companies. How do the big ones feel about this? And again, why not? Why now? Why has this not been happening in the past? Well, the big three aren't fans of this plan, unsurprisingly, right. because they have such a stronghold over our market. What's interesting is these companies, these smaller companies, which are called MVNOs, exist in other countries. Uh, The reason they exist there is because wholesale is actually really profitable and can be a really good business model. Hmm. There's just not a lot of appetite for it here because they don't need it. They're not in competition with each other enough to want that as a way to differentiate. It's not a revenue stream for them. They don't need it to be be. a revenue stream because they have enough revenue from retail alone. Right. And so what we're seeing now is the CRTC, our federal regulator, is already looking at implementing these MBNOs. So it's very likely on our radar. And I think we've seen over the past four years, as the Liberals have tried to address different issues of cell phone affordability, they've put in a new direction for the CRTC to ensure that affordability is part of a mandate, that maybe we're headed in that direction anyways. And this, in a time of an election, is a really good chance to push that agenda a little bit further and recognize that people are paying too much and they're not going to wait another four years to talk about it. So a 25% decrease, uh, is that realistic? How does this move forward? I think 25% is really realistic in terms of what we could see our prices come down. I'm sure consumers would love that. I think most people who have a cell phone bill would love to see their prices come down 25%. And it is a rate that it could come down and our telecoms would still be profitable. That's how much money they're making off of us. I think the challenge with the Liberals' plan is that their first attempt to bring those prices down by 25% is by working with and trying to negotiate with big telecom to make that happen. And I think that when you look at those three companies, they are ultimately accountable to their shareholders, not to the public. And so it is really hard to see how they are going to be willing to just give up that 25% revenue when ultimately they're a for-profit corporation that is intention is to make as many profits as possible. And so I think what we're looking at is we're going to need an actual intervention. There's nothing to hold them to it. Hmm. There's nothing to force them to do it. And I think that trying to negotiate for the next two years to see if we can make it happen feels like a bit of a fool's errand. Yeah, because why wouldn't we have already got there? Um, um, you know, whenever there's uh, new people entering the uh, the industry, they're often smaller, uh, Canadian-based companies. Uh, so their chance of survival, because as you said, the big three have have such a, a lead, is slim. So why not opening this up? Why not open this up to U.S. carriers? Why not just open it wide up and, and blow the doors off it and, and, and let the U.S. Car- carriers come in who obviously facilitate uh, the United States with much more competition. I think when we look at 
needing to build the networks from scratch, uh, it was really appealing in the past to look at the U.S. for those companies that have the money to be able to invest in that. Uh, and I think that's where something like wind was really challenging because they didn't have the money to be able to sustain themselves for years until they could build their customer base. But when we're looking at something like MVNOs and we're looking at these new providers who don't need to build an entire network across the country from scratch, there are actually companies in Canada that do this already. There's a company based in Toronto called Ting that does exactly this, that for years has been only serving U.S. customers because they are not allowed to provide these services in Canada. Right, yeah. So there's actually really qualified, capable Canadian companies that just haven't been given the leg up that Bell, Telus, and Rogers has that I think really deserve a fair shot at the market before we have to go bringing in American competition. What uh, What is going to blow this issue open uh, on the election campaign? So we've heard so far talk of cell phone affordability from the Liberals, the NDP, and the Green Party. We haven't heard anything from the Conservatives yet, which doesn't mean that it won't happen. It just means we don't know what they think on the issue just yet. But I think really what we're going to see is if this comes up in the debate, it will be interesting to see how the parties try and differentiate each other or themselves from one another. Uh, And I think that what we're looking at uh, at Open Media is actually encouraging people. uh, We have a tool we've built to encourage people to be able to message their candidates locally, to also see not just what the party heads are saying, but how can they express themselves to the local candidates? How can they put these issues on the radar in the town halls happening in their ridings? to make sure that this is an issue that everyone who gets elected as an MP going into the next government knows they owe their constituents to address when they get into office. It seems like a no-brainer. Are they just that powerful and donate that much money that politicians turn a blind eye? I don't know how much they're donating to all of the parties, but I think that it's a really big institution and they provide the core of our backbone for all of our communications infrastructure. But those are really powerful companies. And every time decisions don't go their way, we've seen them even in the past month throw really big tantrums. So the equivalent decision of what we're talking about doing on cell phones now happened recently on home internet. And they lowered the rates that the small providers had to pay. And the CRTC said that people had been grossly overcharged by big telecom for the rates. And in return, those three companies threw a really huge fit saying that they were going to withdraw investment from rural and remote communities and underserved areas. And they hold a lot of power because they are so big. And so I think what it's really going to take is a lot of those smaller providers, which we've already seen happening, step up and say that they will fill those gaps. Uh, But I think that, you know, it's also going to take a lot of backbone from politicians to say, my obligations are not to these companies, but they're to my constituents. Uh, is is more competition the only way? The NDP has pre- proposed uh, setting a cap on cell phone and internet prices rather than relying on heavily, uh, rather than relying heavily on increased competition to push down prices the way the Liberals and the Conservatives have done. Uh, so, what about a cap? Is that a good idea? I think that anything that any of the parties are doing to try and make sure that we're paying less is really worth considering. Uh, There is definitely value to putting in a cap as to what customers can be charged and what the companies can charge them. I think that the challenge with that is that even if we put a cap into place, uh, which is a really great step, there still isn't enough choice in the market. And depending on where you live, you might have one, two, or if you're living in city centers, three major providers available. When we look at things like Public Mobile or Kudo or Fido and some of those smaller brands, they're still all owned by the big three companies. So 
ultimately, if we really want to have choice in not just who we're paying for our cell phone services, but the types of plans that we need. None of those companies are looking at what low-income families need. None of those companies are looking at what students need in a way that a company could come in and say, I'm just here to serve students and create really custom plans. And I think that's where lowering the rates is great, but we also need to make sure that we have more choice as well. You know what I found fascinating, too, is when you watch ads for these sorts of companies. They're, you know, they're sort of odd ads where they involve animals or reptiles or whatever, but they don't do, they don't say anything about the product, which means that there is absolutely no difference with any of these companies. Whereas if there was competition, they'd be using this time instead of focusing on a cute little character, they'd be focusing on what's different between their company and the competitor. It's really frustrating when you see new plans come out and within 24 hours, all three companies are offering the same plan. Uh, There is not a lot of variety between the different companies in terms of the offerings that they have and how they distinguish from one another. It is a lot of branding, Uh, There are definitely ways they try and differentiate from each other around network quality. Uh, You know, who has the fastest network in Canada is always the debate every year. But ultimately, the types of services that you can get are all very similar across those providers. Uh, And there isn't a large variety of plans that are, let's say you just want data. All you want is data. You don't need a phone number. You don't want text messages. You just want data and you want to attach it to a device. There's not a lot of options out there. Let's say that all you want is a touchtone style phone to make sure that your grandma can call you in an emergency while she's driving. Yep. There aren't a lot of plans for that. They all come with unlimited nationwide calling. Yeah. And so where there is, there line, should be niche companies that just focus on that stuff. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's because there isn't a lot of competition. There's nothing to try and give them an edge over one another. Instead, it's this monolith of the same types of plans and services available without any real variety. Uh, executive, uh, uh, Chief Executive of the, of the Canadian Wireless Telecommunications Association said the average Canadian cell phone bill fell by 28% between 2016 and 18. Is that accurate? I couldn't give you the percentages. They probably have the numbers right. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the rates are going down. Uh, we know that rates are coming down in Canada, uh, but I would say they're not coming down fast enough. And when we look at how much rates are coming down around the rest of the world, they're coming down faster everywhere else than they are here. Uh, The biggest thing that we struggle with in Canada is the rates that we're paying for our data. So even with the new unlimited plans that we've seen unveiled over the past few months, uh, they're not really unlimited. They're throttled after a certain number of gigabytes of data. And those truly unlimited plans exist all through Europe, you know, in the States. Mm. Those are things that you can get to say, no, I just need to make sure that I can get the access I need. And in Canada, the prices have come down for sure. uh, But I would say they have not come down nearly enough because they were way too high to begin with. And we're still not quite getting the services that we need for what we're paying. Laura Tribe has been with us, Executive Director of Open Media. Some consumer, ab- uh, some consumer advocates are expressing concern over a pledge made in the election to cut cell phone bills by as much as 25%. A move in the right direction. We'll see if it happens. Laura, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.